thankful for my parents for raising me, raising me up to the man I am today. So thankful for them and the impact that they've had on my life. Um, And can I preach to you guys today from this Bible? This Bible was a gift to me from one of my roommates back in 2010. And uh, this roommate is is special to me um, because he brought me in when we were engaged and he allowed me into his home, complete stranger, uh, me coming into his home, and he just blessed my life. Y'all might know him. His name is Pastor Hurley. And so I honor him today and the legacy. And it's amazing what God will do through you if you're just willing to take a the leap of faith. Amen? So there's a shifting in the atmosphere I don't know if y'all feel it, but I feel it, and especially in 2018 and our corporate fast that happened in January. Something has begun to move in this church. Have y'all felt it? All the sermons that we've been hearing are about strengthening our faith, and that, faith, and that was uh, one of the confirmation I got from last week's service is, man, I'm like, all these mighty sermons about strengthening our faith, and it's the faith. It started with think, believe, and speak. Brother Dexter, which gave an incredible message last week as well. Woo! And um, it's just been uh, awesome. You know, when, when God transforms your, your heart, and when you allow God to work through you, what happens is during that, after that transformation happens, you begin to look at all the places that you came from in order to get to where you are today. Amen. So, I believe that we're being trained up for such a moment as this. And not just, not just you know, this era, this generation. I believe that we're being trained up for today. Are you ready? Actually, turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. Give them a high five and say, get ready. Amen. Amen, yes. That's what I'm talking about. Get ready. We've been hearing about spiritual warfare and to, and to get ready. Don't get down, get ready. And that's what we've been hearing week in and week out. And it's time for us to take a stand. Amen. So when you, when you are transformed, you begin to look back and see that God has had his hands on your life the whole time. No matter what it was, no matter what the situation, no matter what you've been through, he was there the whole time and he had his hands on you, guiding you even in those seasons when you didn't want him. He was there. Amen? He's a constant God. He's a patient God. He's a loving God. He provides everything that you need, every single thing that you need in order for you to step into your purpose. Amen? And that purpose is God's purpose. And He's calling you. Are you hearing the call? See, we live in a time when... Time is the asset in our lives. We've actually come to a place where we value time maybe even more so than money. And so we begin to idolize our time and we fill our schedules. And we're just we're inundated with information day in and day out, and we're just consumed with everything, and, and we block every single second and set aside every single second. And then what we do is say what, what we have left over, we'll pray. What we have left over, we'll, we'll dust off the Bible off of the, the, the bookcase. Can I talk to y'all this morning? Yes. 
Amen. Mm. And I just think that we, we're in trouble when we idolize time. And what, what the enemy cannot steal or kill or destroy, he distracts. And, um, you know, I started thinking about the call and, and, and are we hearing the call? And this day and age, when, when we get a phone call, especially when it's a number that we don't know, we ignore it. We say, if it's important enough, they'll leave a message and then I'll, ch- I'll check it. Because I don't have time to check it right now. I don't have time to pick up the call. But I'll, I'll check it later. And then when people you do know call you, sometimes it bleeds over into that. So it's like, you know, Aunt Sally is calling me and... Uh, well, I don't really have time. I'm, I'm taking the kids to soccer practice. You know what? If it's important enough, they'll leave a message. And see, God is calling you. And he wants a relationship with you. And you see his number popping up. And you see his number popping up no matter what the situation is that you are dealing with. It's like, you know what? Ah, uh, You know, uh, I would pick up the phone, but I'm dealing with my hurt leg right now. My hurt leg right now. So I, I, need, I need to focus on that and making that better because I don't have the, the energy to get up. And he's calling you. And the caller ID is saying, you're healer. And you're like, you know what? I'll, I'll check that message later. Or you're going through uh, a financial situation. You're like, God, I got to work this thing out before, before I can answer the call. I, I got to get my plan together, get everything focused and organized. Got to get all my stuff together before I can answer that call. And he's saying, your provider is calling you. And he wants a relationship with you. And he keeps calling you. It's not like he doesn't, st- he stops calling you. He keeps calling you because he wants a relationship with you. And are you, are you going to pick up the call or are you going to let it go to voicemail? And then when your schedule is open, you know, Sunday, when, when you have the time for God and you're walking into his house and you're like, you know what? I didn't check that message. Maybe I'll get it on Sunday morning and I'll check the message on Sunday morning to for have him speak into my life. I'm just saying we're, we're in a dangerous position. Yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, he's calling us to step into our purpose and our calling. And he wants to see you succeed. He wants, he wants you to draw closer to him. You know, a short time ago, I would have laughed at you hysterically if you would have told me I would have been up here preaching. I would have said, I'm not equipped to do that. I would have given you every excuse in the book. I said, no, I can play the guitar. You know, I'll come up here and I'll sing, but God doesn't call me to do that. And I think that sometimes we, the enemy distracts us, right, from seeing that the door is wide open. And we begin to say, you know what? God can't do that. It's impossible. And he wants to do, he wants to make reality what you say is impossible. So God takes, the ordina- takes ordinary people and uses them as long as they're willing to walk with yes, him and to follow him. So I was doing a devotional this week, and this really jumped out at me, and I just want to talk about this. You know, a lot of people struggle with significance. You know, I, I'm not given a certain gift, so I feel like I'm insignificant. And so I, I just want to talk about that real quick uh, this morning. It's, let me just read this to you. Service is the pathway to real significance. It is through ministry that we discover the meaning of our lives. And we like to think of that as the other way around. Once I kind of know what I'm going to do, then I'll serve. But what, what it's saying here is that you have a gift, and it's through your service and through your ministry that when you go through that and you serve with one another, God will begin to reveal to you what that purpose is. And you begin to walk in places that, you know, you, you're, it's unfamiliar territory, and so you're walking 
and you're discovering that you have an ability or you have a calling on your life that you would have ignored just a short time ago. Amen? Y'all got quiet. So as we serve together in God's family, our lives take on eternal importance. So Paul said, I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less, because of what you're part of here. So God wants to use you to make a difference in the world. He wants to work through you. See, what matters most is not the duration of your life, but the donation of it. Right? So the the American church, uh, we think about what are we going to do in the 70, 80 years that we're here, 90 years that we're here, and we just focus all of our energy and time on that. And what God is saying, he wants you to think eternal significance, right? He wants you to flip your mindset. So if you're not serving in any area or ministry, if you're not serving the Lord, what excuse have you been using? Abraham was old, Jacob was insecure, Leah was unattractive, Joseph was abused, Moses stuttered, Gideon was poor, Samson was codependent, Rahab was immoral, David had an affair and all kinds of family problems, Uh, Elijah was suicidal, Jeremiah was depressed, Jonah was reluctant, Naomi was a widow, John the Baptist was eccentric to say the least, Peter was impulsive, and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health, and Timothy was timid. That sounds like the makeup of a modern church, doesn't it? So what excuse have you been using? See, God has used every single one of these people in the Bible for his service. Because they had faith and their faith was strengthened at a point where God transformed them and they began to follow him in the direction that God wanted to use him for his purpose. So let's open up to Acts 4. And we're going to start uh, in 4.13. And so just to set the stage here. See, Peter and John uh, spoke to the council about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this is the reaction after they spoke to the council. This is what they noticed. So now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men or unschooled, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Is that the way that we walk around? Is our relationship so close with God, so close with Jesus that we're following him and people will take knowledge of us. They will take knowledge of us and marvel at us and know that we were with Jesus Christ. Do you feel confident today that when people see you, they marvel at you? Amen. Okay. I'm, I'm talking real today. <laughs> mm. But, let's, but these are the apostles, right? Yes. Where do they come from? Matthew 4, starting in verse 18 through 22. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. 
and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. See, what they were doing is they were fishers by trade. So that's how they devoted most of their time, if not all of their time. That was their trade. That's where, where they found their importance. They, they, they blocked out their schedule to go out and, and fish. And so what Jesus is saying is you got to make a sacrifice to come and follow me. you got to drop some things and release some things and follow me. And come on, let's go. We're going to go. And, and, and see, they, they, he even gets to, to um, John and James and leaves the father in the boat. And sometimes we, we, we put importance in the things that we do with family. And they're very important that you do spend time with your family. But are you using your family and are you cramming your schedule worth of stuff? Soccer practice, uh, hockey practice, football practice, and um, whatever that it is that you're filling your schedule with. Are you packing it in or are you releasing something so you can truly serve God? So we all know it's not where we are trying to go that's the problem. You know, you can get consensus on a goal. We can sit here and say, Jesus, uh, we have to repent and follow him. And we can say, you know what we should do? We should go into the neighborhoods and go door to door. And you can say, okay, that's what we're going to do. You can establish a vision. And most of us will say, exactly, that's what we need to do and we'll buy in. So it's not the vision and it's not the goal or consensus on a goal that's the problem. The problem is, what are you willing to leave behind in order to get there? See, you've got to break a law. You have got to break a law. And that law is the law of gravity. See, when you're trying to go to the next level, and you're trying to take off, and you're trying to fly, what's going to happen is you're going to see a resistance of people or situations that are trying to pull you down. See, we came from dust, and we came from dirt, and that's how we were created, right? So when you try to go to the next level, that gravity, those situations are going to try to pull you down from where you came from. So in order for you to go to the next level, you have to break a barrier. That's right. So as Christians, you know, we, we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we, we repent of our sins and we follow Him. But repent sometimes can fall on some deaf ears. So I want to talk about that real quick. So this generation is distracted. You know, they're motivated by outside sources to stay busy, to go farther, to keep pushing, to accomplish your goals, to, to get the American dream. And we grew up, especially the millennials, we grew up, you can get it. You can keep going, keep going farther. You gotta keep, you gotta devote every single second of your time to this thing, and you gotta get your goal. And if you don't get your goal, you gotta use that. You can throw this person under the bus in order to get there. Go get yours, go make your money, and go be successful. Go get it, no matter the, the situation. And so, so that's kind of bled over into to how we view Christianity. When we're saved, the perception is for Jesus to enter our lives, or how I'm living. It's like you're going, and you're going, you know, 55, 60, 75 miles an hour, and you're like, okay, I'm saved now. Jesus, come on, let's go. You got to keep up with me. You got to keep up with me. And so when I go through, uh, I go through life, and I'm, I'm hitting a dead end, and I don't know why. Why am I hitting a dead end? And it's like, I need prayer. 
Jesus, why don't you uh, come on over here and you got to help me with this situation because I'm trying to go over here and if you could help me with it, that would be great. I'm saying we're in trouble. See, the, repent is to turn away from. See, when, when Jesus was, was on the cross and he was crucified, and when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we are crucified with him. And that's why you're born again. So you leave some things behind, you begin to release some things, and you follow Jesus and his plan and what you have, and you rely on him first, and you trust him first, and you don't try to, to get a out and head, because that's usually when you get into trouble. That's usually when worry and anxiety comes in, too. Mm. So the, this worldly mindset, because it is a worldly mindset, and it's not obsolete in the American church. It's filled our seats, and it's filled our hearts. So we organize programs, initiatives, and events to draw people into the church. We, we want to be able to connect with the younger generation. So we, we noticed that the church down the street did a giant water balloon fight. So we're like, you know what? They did it. They saw a lot of people. So let's go ahead and let's do something like that because we got to get people here. we got to get people here, and that's important to, to draw people in, but we're doing it in a, in, in a way that, that, that isn't what God wants. Sometimes, actually most times, God wants to do it different than what you plan. And a lot of times we'll put together events and we'll put together programs and we'll plan it all out and then we say, God, can you bless this, please? That's how we do it. I mean, did we ever ask what he wanted first? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. In all thy ways. In all thy ways. Not in some of the ways. Not only on Sunday. Not only on Wednesday. But in every single thing that we do, we acknowledge him. And we come to him first and say, God, is this what you have set forth for me? So, um... Recently, in a fast, I, I'm going to share this testimony with you. God revealed that even if you think that you, you have God and, and you're like, okay, I'm trusting you, Lord, and you say it. But even when you think you're doing that, God will reveal to you that you're probably not. So in a fast, I read a book. And in the book, it said, you know, the first three days are the toughest. The toxins are wearing out. And, you know, you're going to begin to, you know, your stomach's going to get used to this new eating arrangement. So when you begin to, to release some things and, and to fast, those three days are going to be the toughest. But come day four, everything is going to simmer down. And you begin, see, I began to bank my understanding on this. So the first three days, I said, God, you got to help me through this because, whoo, I don't know if I can make it. So the first three days, I relied on in every single moment. But day four came around. And what did I say? Day four. I'm going to bank on this guy's under. He's an expert. So he knows what he's talking about. You know, so I read the book. I got my understanding from this man who said that this was going to happen. And I left God out of it. I didn't trust him that day. And so God, I could just feel him just releasing his hands and saying, all right, you want to take this? Go ahead. And oh, it was the hardest 
most excruciating day. It was the worst day that I had ever experienced. The first three days, they were a piece of cake depending, you know, compared to this day four. And I felt, I felt the enemy saying, you can't do this. You can't complete this fast. You're insignificant. You're not important. You don't have a gift. You're not anointed. You can't do it. You can't move. You can't go to the next level. And I cried. And I cried. And that's when I was like, God, I am so sorry. So even when you think you have it together and you're doing everything right, it's good to just check in on God and make sure and reconnect with them. Yeah, I felt some major baggage breaking off that day too. It's like there was a release when I said, God, take this from me. And so it just the, the weight of everything was just, I felt that being released. So there's an urgency. And we feel it here at this church. And we've been sensing that, especially this year, that there are so many people with needs and there are so many people who need to be prayed over and to be cared for. And so many hurting financially and in their relationships and they're struggling with sin. And so many hearts that need their eyes opened. So it's easy to panic and it's easy to start putting and go into planning mode. And it's easy to say, okay, what can we do? What can we do? But it's not in what we do on our own accord. It's what God does through us. So let's open up to 2 Kings 6, and we'll start in verse 14. And let me set the stage for you a little bit. Here, um, Elisha, the, or the king of Syria, uh, was waging war with the king of Israel. So um, what was happening is the king of Syria said, okay, I want you to go to such and such a town, and that's where the king of Israel is going to be, so we're going to ambush them when they get there. So Elisha heard this, and Elisha, the man of God, said, okay, let me tell the king of Israel. So he goes to the king of Israel, and he says, they're going to go to such and such a town. You may want to go another way. You may want to go another direction so you don't get attacked. And so the king found out, the king first thought he had an intruder on his hands, but he found out that Elisha was, was telling the information to the king. So they said, go out and find Elisha. And so we read this a, a couple weeks ago. I think Samantha brought this uh, passage, so I want to just touch on it again. So in starting in verse 14, therefore, the, uh, the king of uh, Syria sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and they compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early, he had gone forth and behold, a host compassed about the city with horses and chariots. And a servant said unto him, unto Elijah, my master, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. The enemy has us cornered. What are we going to do? And Elisha answered, he said, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Amen. And what did he do? He prayed. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. 
And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. See, it would have been easy for Elisha and his servants to stay in panic mode, right? If you think about it and then put it in, you know, walk into those shoes, it, it could have been easy to be like, we're surrounded. Elijah, what do we do? Uh, let's, let's, what if we put together a plan? Uh, let's, uh, uh, we can draw swords and then we can go out there. Maybe we can put a gap into that and then we can escape. Or maybe we, we dig a hole and, and we just hide and we, we, we hide and just wait for them to leave. Like it's easy for us to go into planning mode. And what did Elisha do? Elisha, he had a close relationship with God. He had a close connection with God. He knew God. And so what did he do? How did he respond? He prayed. And he prayed for who? He didn't pray for the God to rain down a terror of a fire from the sky. He didn't pray for a fortress to come up. He didn't pray for a new weapon that would just completely marvel and, and surprise everybody. He prayed for his servant. The one who was next to him. He interceded on his behalf. And he said, fear not. Do not be afraid. God's got this. If that doesn't get you excited... So he prayed first for who? His servant, that his eyes would be open and he would see what he saw. And there's a second part of this, and it's the servant. See, the servant was, was in a position, was in a posture where he could allow God to work through his heart. And so when he opened his eyes, he saw. See, we have to be in a position where we can see. And that's completely humbling ourselves. And that's, that's completely relying on our faith and not our understanding of the situation, but to know that God's got this. So how do we respond when fear, anxiety, or emergency happens in our life? Is our relationship strong enough and close enough with God where our eyes can see the chariots of fire surrounding your impossible situations? Are you in a position where you can receive the Word of God and it can completely transform your heart, your understanding, and your vision? Do you intercede on behalf of others when you all go through something? Is that your initial response? And it's just like, fear not, God's got this. He's got your back, church. And you can have comfort in that, and it's not by your own understanding. You've got to get yourself out of the way and fear not, truly repent and follow Jesus. And you have to be in a position where, where God can work through you completely. And I pray for you. I pray for you all the time. I pray for this church that we will see lives transformed. Amen. That we will walk in faith. And it's not about just believing that Jesus exists. It's not about just believing that the mission is good. But I just, I just pray. I mean, even James says, 
even the demons believe that Jesus exists and he's the Messiah and they fear and tremble him. So it's, it's great that we have faith, but we have to begin to walk in that faith. We got to begin to be the light in this dark, dark world. We have to step up. So Elisha was one of the greatest prophets or preachers ever recorded in the Bible. He had the double portion anointing that we talked about a few weeks ago. But this is his final prophecy uh, right before he, he died. And I guess second to last prophecy. So um, it's 2 Kings 13, starting in uh, verse 15 and going through to 19. So here Elijah, instead of preaching or speaking the prophecy to the king of Israel, he shows him because oftentimes our actions speak louder than words. So it's not in what we understand or declare. It's what God does through us, through our faith and obedience. So starting in 15, And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hand upon the king's hands. Yeah. And I'm just seeing this picture here. That, that God wants to work through you. And he's got his hands covering your hands. And he's guiding and directing your paths. And so what I'm seeing here is what's missing. God's guidance needs your participation. I'm so thankful for God's hands over my life. Amen. So in verse 17, and he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. So he did not open the window for the king. The king had to open it himself. But what he did is he pointed in the direction of the battle. He pointed in the direction of the battle. And if the, he, would, he would give him victory if, if he would dare to face it and fight that battle. So then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of victory from Syria, those who have been oppressing God's people. So the arrow represents, the arrow represents victory. And whose victory is it? It's God's victory. It's the Lord's victory. Amen? Amen. So this is his strength. And this is a lesson for us to see the victory before we seize the victory. And for, uh, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till you have consumed them. And he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice, and he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, thou should have smitten five or six times. See, you could have had everything that God wanted you to have, but you quit too quickly. You stopped. You weren't feeling it, right? 
You know, like, you know, I'm doing ministry. I, I, I feel like I'm doing it. And I feel like this is the Lord's blessed this and, and, and I'm shooting. But, you know, I'm not really seeing the results. Maybe I'm just not seeing the prophecy. I'm just going to stop and I'm going to quit. No, that's right. Don't quit. Thank you, Nora. See, you should have used all the arrows until you saw it. You could have kept striking and striking until what you see in your life is what God has spoken over your life. And it wasn't the faulty weapons that, that allowed the king to be defeated. It was his lack of drive. He didn't drive enough arrows into the ground. He didn't keep pushing. And so we, we all need a little push sometimes, don't we? I mean, every one of us comes to a place in life where we need someone to motivate us, kick us in the behind, and to do what we feel like we can't do, to get us started in the right direction. But it's so easy to get focused on the arrow of victory that we tend to forget that there is another part of this weapon. There's another instrument. And it's easy to get so focused on the arrow and the driving and the pushing and the pressing, but it's also easy to forget that it all started. This passage all started with a bow. And so once you understand that the power of God is not in your strength, it's not in your might. It's not what you do, but it's in the drawing of the bow. It's in the pulling of the bow that uh, gets you, gives you your, your true strength when you're shooting an arrow. So what does that illustration mean, Brother Wes? It means that you can't fire an arrow with pushing. You can't do it. It's going to fall every time. I know some of y'all were nervous that I had a bow and arrow up here. Yeah. Don't worry, it's still back there. But you can't push and get anywhere with it. But it's in the spirit, it's in the drawing closer to God, that once you draw, that real answer is when you draw close to God, you can begin to see the power of his spirit to give that victory. The real impact of the church is not in the pushing, but it's in the pulling. It's in the drawing closer to God. And as we draw closer to God, he'll give us everything that we need. He'll give us everything that we need. And we can be transformed by his spirit. We can dust off our Bibles and we can dive deeper into the word. And we can, we can pray and we can intercede on behalf of others. When situations happen in our life, we don't need to try to figure it out. That's a cue from God that you need to draw closer to him. Amen. There is so much worry and so much anxiety, and I know that we all go through it. But are we drawing closer to God? He wants to give you the answer and you need to draw closer to him. I know this may sound fundamental, but we need a good reminder of this. See, when we're transformed by His Spirit, we get the power. And we begin to walk around in such a light that people will look at us 
and they will marvel at us because they will take knowledge that we have been with Jesus, that we have a relationship with Jesus, and we are being transformed by Jesus, and we are walking around like vessels, like good soil that the seed is planted within us, and we are growing, and we are beacon of light, a city on a hill, that we will begin to portray this light, this beaming of the light, where people will marvel at us. When we walk into the room, people will start dancing and shouting. Hmm. So it's good to get a push, but, but some like this king will do what they're told as long as someone is pushing them. So everything Elisha told the king to do, he did. But it was the moment that Elisha took his hands off of his hands. See, some people have to be pushed to praise God. But there are some others here that when they're praising God, you don't have to tell them to lift their hands. That they will just go and just dive into, into the praise, into the worship, because they have drawn so close to God, you don't have to tell them what to do. They will just stand up, and they will just lay down their lives, and they will follow God, and they will be a beacon of light. I need y'all to stand up if you hear what I'm saying. But... But Brother Wes, see, I grew up in church all my life, and I taught Sunday school for years. And I've been in the choir for years. I've been reading my Bible. I've been coming to church, checking the boxes. I've done my time. It's someone else's turn. Lord, help him. If you're breathing, he still wants to use you. He's not done with you yet. But Brother Wes, I pray to God for a calling, and, and I want something new and fresh, and I'm not getting a clear picture clear calling so I'm just gonna wait you know I used to serve in ministry but that church down the street they didn't take too kindly to my idea so I just stopped and I haven't heard anything since then so I'm just praying waiting to hear from God to, to give me something new and I believe that if God isn't speaking a new direction a new purpose a new calling into your life what he's doing is he's calling you back Amen. to what he has already spoken over you and he wants you to steward what you already have. And he wants you to hold on to it. And see, David was with the sheep and the goats when he was anointed the king of Israel. And after he was anointed the king of Israel, he didn't go to the palace. No, no, no. He went back to the fields That's with right. the sheep and the goats. And I believe that we can see a revival. I believe that it is possible. And we can see it at a level that we can never imagine. But we have to step into God's purpose for our lives. And I believe that he can do it one more time. I believe that he, can, that he can step up one more time, church. No matter what you're going through, you keep praying over a situation. And it's like, just pray one more time. Just pray one more time. Just believe and have faith one more time. Just step into that purpose one more time. See, see this past week has been confirmation for me. Pastor told me a story about his dad and how his family wasn't saved. He was the first one saved and he was being called to preach and his older brother Tommy had pneumonia and they had been praying and they had been speaking healing over his life and he wasn't getting better. And so his dad says, 
let's go out and pray one more time. Let's believe God one more time. He can do it one more time, but we have to step out in faith one more time. He wants to speak healing over your life and he wants to provide, but you have to take a leap of faith and let go of the situations that you've been holding on to. And he wants you to take a step of faith one more time. And to finish that story, after he said that, he prayed and he said, that's it. He's healed. And they went back and they went back into the room where he was laying down. His brother Tom was laying down and he was healed. He was walking around the room. I want to speak over somebody's life here today. I believe that there is somebody here this morning that they cannot see the door to their purpose because the enemy is standing in front of it and distracting you, trying to direct you somewhere else. So it reminds me of uh, the the verse in Revelation. I believe it's in chapter 3. Um, I think verse 7 or 8, if you can pull that up. It's, um, yeah, let's go, let's let's go to chapter 8. Because he that openeth, openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth what no man openeth. Go to chapter 8. Or verse 8, I'm so sorry. Ooh, I'm excited. Keep going. Verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before you thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Verse 9. Behold, I will make them, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Verse verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Verse 11. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. So whatever calling that you have on your life, hold fast to it. Walk in obedience. Walk in faith. And he's going to do it one more time, church. He's going to do it one more time. I'm tired of hearing about these illnesses. I'm tired of hearing about this debt. I'm tired of hearing about the good old days and how we used to see a mighty move of God across this nation. How about one more time? All throughout the Bible, you can find illustrations of men and women in barren situations, and they make a bold confession of one more time. Procrastination will always keep you from experiencing the power of God. So I told myself I would stand up here and preach, but I'm not ready. I have to memorize such such, such verses. And, you know, I'll serve God, but, you know, once everything lines up in my schedule, I'll go to Bible study, and once I start reading the Bible on my own, and I can participate in the class. I'll start tithing once I get out of debt. Why not now? 
We keep waiting for, for feelings. Like, I, I got to feel it before I can do it. See, but feelings follow faith. So you've got to have faith first, and then he will reveal to you. Let's do it one more time. Stand up. God wants to bless you, but you have to lay down your pride. Stand up in the middle of controversy. Stand up in the middle of a hopeless situation. you got to stand up when you feel too old, too insecure, too unattractive, too abused, too poor, codependent. You have to stand up even when people look at you funny. You have to stand up when you're reluctant or unpopular, even when you have your doubts, even if you have poor health. you got to stand up if you're timid. you got to stand up if you're tired. Now let's stand up and let's ignite a revival that this world has never seen before.